Well, if you're here uh, visiting for the first time, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming out. If you're joining us online, we're grateful for that too. Now, so you baseball Knicks, if I were to talk about who were the best catchers of the last 60 years, you might mention Johnny Bench or Carlton Fisk, Salvador Perez, if you're a Royals fan, uh, Lance Parrish, but, but you would be missing a name that you wouldn't think of. And I want to show you a picture of somebody who should be included in that. Can I do that? Can I show you a picture of a catcher? So let's put this up here, this catcher up there. That is nine-year-old Andy McFarlane behind the plate, huh? Okay, let's talk. How many of you played baseball? How many of you played baseball? Okay. Let me, let me ask you a question. Would you try and steal in the arm? Let me answer it. No, you wouldn't because you'd be thrown out by five feet. So I was a catcher from 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. So you can imagine at nine years old, at Christmas, when my parents got me catcher's gear. And then see, the gear I'm talking about, shin guards, chest protector, and a mask, I was thrilled. I thought that was the best present you could get. But you know what? I never had a chance to use it. Because when we played around the house, we just played wiffle ball. There were only a couple people involved. You didn't use catcher's gear. And when you played on a Little League team or a Babe Ruth team, every team was issued catcher's equipment. So that cool present that I really loved, it just stayed in the basement. I never put it into practice. That's sad, isn't it? Well, it's going somewhere with that. For the last eight weeks, we've talked about hope. And if you can be a person who hopes, if we can be people who hope, well, well that changes our whole disposition in life. But is hope going to be a bit like my catcher's gear? Is it going to stay on the shelf? Or are we going to put it into practice? What I want to talk about today is a way, but I want to make sure we're, we're putting hope into practice. So if you've got a, a Bible, if you'd open that to Psalm 130, we're going to go all the way through that Psalm, and we're going to wrestle with this question, how can we put hope into practice? How can we put hope into practice? As you're turning there, let me uh, up front, um, about four weeks ago I did um, Psalm 126 in this series. I mentioned a, an author named Eugene Peterson, a book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, how he had impacted me, how that, I read five psalms on a proverb a day, that got, got me kick-started 40 years ago doing that. Well, he has had an impact on this too. I will be borrowing from his thoughts. His insights are, are so powerful. Having said that, let me open this way. Psalm 1 says, Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. This psalmist is awash in troubles. The water is coming up and it's rising. He's overwhelmed. Have you been there? Have you been there? Peterson translates it this way. Help God. Here's another metaphor. I've hit rock bottom. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears. Listen to my cries for mercy. So when you're overwhelmed, when you're awash in troubles, how do you respond? See, we live in what I call the happy culture, right? 
So, man, if you're grieving, you, don't, you usually don't put that on Facebook. If you're awash in troubles, you kind of low-key that. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm not happy. I don't want anybody to, to pity me. How's life? It's good. good. <laughs> it's great. It's really good. Here's what God does with this psalm. Other place in the scripture, but this psalm. He brings dignity to suffering. He says there's value in it. When we get down to verses 7 and 8, and I'll wait till we get there to describe everybody. He's going to talk about redemption. He redeems suffering. He buys back that which was lost and gives it value. Now, I want to make sure I don't make masochists of everybody. Well, if God values suffering, I'm just going to, I'm going to go looking for it. You don't need to do that. Suffering will find you. Henry Nouwen, it's a famed author. He's since passed away. He said, you know, all of us in life will deal with, we'll deal with loneliness. We'll deal with uncertainty. We'll deal with doubt. We'll deal with conflict. And it's just a part of the human experience. And if you're sitting here, Andy, I, I don't have any of that in my life right now. I want to tell you, be of good cheer. Something's on the way. Isn't that encouraging? Aren't you going to get up to hear church about that today? But God brings value to this. See, our culture says we need to deny it. We need to medicate it. We need to put it away somehow. 10, 12 years ago, I went to a sexual addiction workshop down at Lincoln Breen. I thought this is a big enough issue. I'm going to listen, but I'm going to go. But the opening line, I'll never forget. The guy said, this is a sexual addiction sexual." addiction workshop, but ultimately this has nothing to do with sex. Okay, now you got, my, you got my attention. He says this is just one more way of medicating our pain. It could be a sexual addiction, it could be an alcohol addiction, it could be a work addiction, it could be a spending addiction. It is just one more. That's what we do as a culture. It's hard. Medicate it. Deny it. Get busy so you don't have to think about it. That's not what this author would say. He uses Lord eight times. Lord, I'm bringing my suffering to you. Now, one of the issues that might keep us from bringing our suffering to God is, is our sin. I mean, when I work campus ministry, I'd say to students, let's, let's put the Bible away for just a minute. Let's, let's talk about your own moral code. Have you broken your own moral code? Yeah, I have. I mean, everybody said, yeah, I, I have. So we've broken our own moral code. How, does that, how do we deal with God? We, we think, man, our, God's not interested in mine. And, and maybe, you know what? Maybe your suffering and my suffering has to do with our own sin. It has to do with our own stuff. What about that? Well, verses 3 and 4. Here's what the psalmist says. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Well, nobody. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I love the way Peterson translates this. Here's what he said. If you, oh, if you God kept records of, on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? Let me stop there. About three or four weeks ago, I saw a, an interview with Vladimir Putin. He's the dictator running Russia right now. And they asked him about forgiveness. He said, yeah, there's forgiveness, but you don't forget. And what are things you don't forget? Like, you don't forget traitors. <laughs> and about two weeks later, Yevgeny Prigozhin's plane was shot down, and we were all surprised. No, he, he didn't forget. But God says, 
I, 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 don't keep a, I, I don't keep a record of your wrongdoings. I put them away. That's not human. Yeah, that's divine. Here's what he says. As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. That's why you're worshiped. That's how God rolls in forgiveness. Psalm 103 says, God sees us white as snow. Well, wait a minute, Andy, you don't understand the depravity of my sin. Now, you don't understand the depravity of my sin. But that's the power of Jesus' blood. Is that your understanding of God? Is that how you roll in your relationship with God? If you weren't with us last week, I encourage you to watch the sermon online. Brian Clark was here talking about how our family of origin affects our view of God and how a lot of people get stuck. This is how God says he is, but this is how we perceive him. As an example, I had a dad who had an explosive temper. And when he got mad, you just needed to stay away. And so that's what I do for several days until he, whoo, he calmed down. That's not a biblical view of God. God says, come to me now for forgiveness. But I'm 45 years in on this Christian thing. And when I sin, my, my tendency is to stay away. Why? Because that's my first understanding from my earthly father. Do you understand, do we understand that God forgives? He doesn't keep a record of wrong. And if we don't, why is that? It may be worth looking at. Now, can I just make one aside on Brian's sermon? You know what stood out to me about his sermon? He just stood there the whole time. How can you preach just standing there? I'm not even sure that's biblical, people. I don't know. I'll have to think about that. All right. So verses 5 and 6. Um, we wonder, why doesn't God just, why doesn't he make suffering go away? Here's what it says. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. How? More than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. I wait and I watch. Okay, wait says, I can't do anything else. I, I just, I'm out of options. But I'm not waiting in despair. I'm watching, expecting God to do something. How do I watch? Like the nightman, night watchman, waiting for the morning sun. It seems like it's going to be forever getting here. But it always comes up. The sun always comes up. Here's how Peterson translates these two verses. I pray to God in my life of prayer and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God. You ever felt that way? My Lord, what am I doing? I'm waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. I've never worked a graveyard shift. But there have been times when I've driven through the night. I used to drive back from Colorado to Texas when I was raising support. And I remember, get on about 4 or 5 in the morning. I've been driving in the dark all night. I, I know the sun's supposed to come up at 6.30. I know it's going to happen, but man, it seems like it's taken a long time. The psalmist saying, that's how we need to wait on God. It's taken a long time, but he is going to work. And we're watching for that. We're not waiting passively. We haven't quit. 
but we're watching, expecting the Lord to work. So we started by saying we didn't want to leave hope. We spent the last eight weeks hope again. We didn't want to leave hope on the shelf. So how do we put it into practice? Here's what we do. We put hope into practice by intentionally, purposely, waiting and watching for the Lord. Are you in a posture of waiting on God right now? You're halfway there to hoping in Him. But then we're watching how? Expecting Him to work. We're waiting and watching for the Lord. We're not waiting and watching for a certain outcome. We're waiting and watching for the Lord, and that happens regardless of an outcome. So this came home to me this summer. Hope and I went to visit a college friend. And um, in 2015, this college friend was diagnosed with prostate cancer. When the diagnosis happened, the pathology said on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being low and 10 being high in aggression, he had a 9. But they got it early, so they're very hopeful. So he went through chemo, he went through radiation, he went through all this different stuff. And about two years ago, we talked, and he said, Andy, it's back. And they think it's in the lymph node system around my heart. So that's not good. He's on a three- to five-year clock. But then he got, about a year ago, he got accepted into a trial program, a trial drug that had worked, and he was in it. And so he started, and, and it's a bunch of stuff, but he texted me about six months ago. He says, cancer's gone. PSA. Prostate-specific antigen is zero. About two weeks before we went up there, he said, the cancer's back. I texted back. I said, do you want us to come? He said, yeah, we absolutely want you to come. So we drove up on a Monday, and Monday night we were sitting out by the lake, and, and the, the, uh, the topic comes around and will tell us about this. And here's the snapshot I remember from the wife. For eight years, I've been a cheerleader. We can beat this. Go, come on, we can... And she said, we're meeting with a counselor now because I have to transition from being a cheerleader to a grieving spouse. We're waiting and we're watching for the Lord, not for an outcome. I don't know that we're going to get the outcome we want. In this, being out of medical options, we have hope. Why? Because hope isn't dependent on this or that. Hope is dependent on the Lord. And they're watching for him to work however he chooses. But sometimes that's hard, isn't it? It's hard when you get those things. And we need someone to come alongside us. And I, I would say that someone is Jesus. There are many things that set Christianity apart, but let me tell you one. We serve a Savior and Lord who understands suffering. When he was on the earth, he got weary. He got hungry. He got tired. John 11, uh, Lazarus dies, and he goes and he meets both of his sisters who are grieving. And it says, John 11, 35, Jesus wept. He, you're weeping? Jesus knows what you're going through. You feel alone. You know what the first thing Jesus said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, was, he knows suffering. And he wants to be the strength you don't have that you can continue waiting and watching for the Lord. So when I was two years old, 
I uh, was stung, I don't remember this, I was stung by a bee and I went into anaphylactic shock. Got to rush me to the hospital, got to get me uh, epinephrine right now, get my heart beating. And, but as a little boy, I had to, each spring I had to go through a series of three shots over two weeks to build up my immunity in case I was stung. I hated those shots. But I understood, I, I needed them. I don't think I could have walked into the doctor's office on my own my mom hadn't called, made the appointment, and walked with me. And I'm going to be with you, son, when they stick you. Do you understand? Jesus wants to be with us when we're waiting and watching. He wants to be the strength, and he understands our suffering. He knows what it is. This psalmist believes in God. This psalmist believes that God ought to be sought and that there is hope again when we suffer, so much so that he makes the recommendation to the whole nation of Israel. He says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness and with him is abundant redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. There's our word redemption. What does that mean? Something, someone was sold into something. They did something. And this person is going to pay and is going to buy them back out of that. In this case, though, it was not in dollars. It was in blood. And Jesus has redeemed us, redeemed us across the board. But one of the things he's done is he has redeemed our suffering. No longer do we have to say, we're going to hide this away. We're going to take a pill. We're going to medicate it. We're going to... No, you, you can bring it to light because I can bring value of that. I have bought your suffering back. Jesus offers redemption in our suffering. And I would suggest to you that all suffering, except that which comes with rejecting Jesus as Savior and Lord, is temporary. Because Jesus is coming, one back, coming back one day to set up his kingdom on earth. And he says when that happens, Revelation 21.4, every tear... Every pain is going to be wiped away. So our suffering is temporary. So this psalmist is recommending the Lord to everybody who will listen. What I want to ask you is, you work with people who are suffering. And we're in a culture where you just, just put that away. We don't talk about that. Sure, don't put it on Facebook. Don't put it on social media. Maybe one of the ways you engage people is you talk about your suffering. It's not what I want. It's not what I desire. But I'm finding purpose in it in the Lord. The Lord is redeeming my suffering. See, this psalm is not about explaining suffering away. It's not explaining why. But it is talking about how we suffer. How do we suffer? And our Christian faith should bring us into conflict with our culture. We're not people who need to sweep it away or medicate it away or get it busy and get it away. We can embrace it with hope and dignity because there is a God who redeems it. And if you're a person who's suffering right now, in the context of trusted relationships, I mean, be, be discreet. This is why we're talking about small groups. This is why we're talking about getting together with people. Talk about your suffering. You don't know how it might minister to others. So when we're up and visiting this friend, you know, they're talking about their hope in the Lord and their trusting, and I think, man, I admire that. Because I'd be ticked if I were you. Because you know how many people I know who've gotten prostate cancer and had surgery and just moved on? Bunches. 
but you're still hoping in the Lord. We were there Monday to Friday, and Thursday we were up eating breakfast. How'd you sleep? Well, not very well. What happened? He said, well, Andy, once in a while, the 4 a.m. boogeyman gets to me. And I wonder, how is this going to play out? Okay, I get that. I appreciate that. You're human. I mean, that's part of community. That's where we find strength with one another. That we would share our suffering. Why? Because we don't have to hide anymore. Because there's dignity in it. We have reason to hope again, even when we're not sure, even when we're in pain, even when we don't know the future, even when we're not getting the desired outcome we want. We can hope in the midst of suffering. We don't have to walk it alone. So 21 years ago, we moved here to start a new job, and we got an apartment over there at 84th and Van Dorn, and there was a little mini gym in the apartment. So I thought, this is a time to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to get in shape. So I started doing those exercises in the mini gym. And, and one of the things, my, my shoulders started hurting. But I thought, you know what? I'm going to push through on this thing. I'm going to be strong, and I'm going to keep going. And I did, and my shoulder kept hurting more and more to the point I couldn't lift it past here. So I went to the doctor, and he do this, do that, do this. Okay, I think you've hurt your rotator cuff. I don't think you've torn it, but stop. Rest it, and over a period of about three months, it, it came back. But you know what? I suffered needlessly, foolishly. I was suffering by myself, and I didn't bring it to anybody. I thought, I can, I can just go. That was a bad deal. But how many people are suffering that way in our world? Are you suffering that way right now? First, would you bring your suffering to the Lord? Eight times the psalmist says, Lord. Secondly, would you bring it to others? Why? Because we're people who can hope even when we're in the depths, even when we're overwhelmed. Let's not leave hope. We've talked about hope for the last eight weeks. Let's not leave it on the shelf. Like my catcher's gear, let's not leave it on the shelf. Let's bring it out. Let's put it into practice. How do we put it, hope into practice? Would it put it into practice by intentionally waiting and watching? Like the night watchman, remember that? It's going to work. Waiting and watching intentionally on the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for um, your word, the truth. And we don't want to suffer. We live in a culture that wants to hide that, that doesn't find any dignity in it. And you said, I can, I can redeem everything. I can redeem every part of your life. I can redeem your suffering. Lord, I, I pray we wouldn't be people who put hope on the shelf. But we talk about this up and we put it into practice. And we live as hopeful people. How? Purposely, intentionally, we're waiting. That means we can't do anything. We're waiting and we're watching for the Lord. Expecting him to work just like the night watchman knows that the sun will come up. Jesus, would you empower that kind of faith in us? Pray in Christ's name. Amen.